welcome to the ETPHD Team Podcast episode 91 with myself and Steph. Hi Steph, how are you? I'm good. Um, I feel, <laughs> now I've just answered <laughs> my reflection, I was actually considering washing my hair this morning and then I went against that decision because of the cost of drying it. And now I've, I've just thought, oh, maybe I should say something <laughs> with a slick Rick and <laughs> slick <laughs> look great. <laughs> I really should apologise, but I feel like I probably should. <laughs> no, we don't apologise for our appearance, Steph. Never. Although, I think as a blonde, you get away with it. I think as a blonde, you can just not wash your hair for you. You say that, but no. <laughs> no. no. Are you a natural blonde, by the way, Anna? Just out of interest. Uh, like, you know that really just meh blonde that's not... It's, it's just meh. It's not exciting. I've never heard of meh, blonde. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Next time. My hairdresser's familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, though. Um, well, I think you look great. I always think you look great, though. But that's also because, I don't know about you guys, but whenever you're on a Zoom call, I, I debate anyone that says this is not true. You spend more time looking at yourself than you do looking at other people. I don't know I, what <laughs> Well, I actually have a strategy in place. So I've got my notes when I'm on calls, for example, with my clients, I like pop it over my face because oh. I'm just like, oh my God. Oh. That. Um, so yeah, I'm not avoiding myself, although <laughs> I think that I would do either. But yeah, sorry, I just had to point it out because I was just like, I'm really, I'm really um, off put with my face yeah. today. <laughs> you, you did that thing that I did a post about recently where it was like, oh, I know that I'm going to see my friends, you know, when our body shapes change and then before we see them, we say, oh yeah, and obviously I've gained weight or or obviously like this has changed about me to stop other people from commenting on it, like a self-preservation thing. Yeah, I'm still working on myself, Amelia. Do you know what I mean? You <laughs> take a long, hard look at yourself. You <laughs> should talk after this. Um, Anna, how are you? How was your delightful breakaway? I am... Um very well thank you it was uh, just dreamy like the first time I think I've switched off it's definitely this year <laughs> but, but yeah the first time I've had a good few days just to chill out good I know when you went when you said I'm going away I thought back and was like I don't know the last time you took time off in years like before like you've not been away since like properly away since before 2020 right the last time I went on a plane was 2018. <laughs> oh my God, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah, like, I, I had to have a good couple of glasses of wine before I got on the plane because I was like, it's been so long. I don't know if I can do this. How long is the flight again to Dubai? Like seven hours, not too bad, but long enough. Mm. Civilised. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. Much deserved. <laughs> not that we need to earn our time off, but. It's always more rewarding when we do, let's be honest. Um, and you've certainly done that. Okay, let's just crack on with the questions, I think, this week. No, no one's got any topics to discuss, have they? No. I mean, that was such a leading question. If you do, you don't get to answer, so. Okay. <laughs> um, Anna, do you want to go first? Yes. Uh, any tips for when your mind is really food-occupied? I mean, there's lots of angles we can go on this. <laughs> Take it away, Amelia. <laughs> smooth. That was so smooth. Um, I mean, why? I think you've got to figure out why you're why you're so focused on food, because there are so many reasons why it might be. It might be because you're hungry. It might be because you're restricting your calories and or your food choices. It might be because you're bored, stiff in your work. It might be because you are like often it's because you're bored right or it's because you're trying to stop yourself from doing the thing that you don't want to do which is some sort of work or something else um so I think the most important thing is figuring out why and then trying to change that so if it is something like on board of work well is food really going to actually help you here let's just say right I'll do an hour of work and then if I still want that food then if I still want to focus on that food or to have that food then I'll have it but first of all I'm going to commit to doing this one thing that can be really helpful if it's because you're restricting then I think allow yourself that thing and now this is not always going to be the case so some people who are maybe dropping body fat for health and they need to be in a deficit and 
they're going to be dieting does increase food focus we know that restriction does increase food focus even in those with the healthiest relationships with food and so me saying well if you're just preoccupied by the donut that's in your fridge just have it sometimes that is the right thing to do when you're dieting but you're not going to want to do that every single day for example so you really need to think about this is where I am in my relationship with food and my journey what is in line with what's important to me is it fat loss or is it improving my relationship with food and reducing my food preoccupation in which case honor that that craving for what it is and it usually is because of restriction so I think but I think you have to figure that part out for yourself and then meet the need from that Hmm. I actually had a discussion today with a client that she's self-employed so as well we we kind of you know structure our own day and she said that she has an increased food preoccupation when she hasn't really got a plan um and sometimes you know like meal timings and rules obviously that's going to increase your food preoccupation but I said to her today like don't be afraid to put in a bit of like you know some time frames when you're going to eat breakfast or lunch and, and dinner um because what she's found is she's sort of chain snacking because she's almost like preoccupied with food because she's not really allowing herself to eat proper meals at this point um and then that's leading to more snacking and then like being preoccupied so I don't know if you can pop in a bit of structure I obviously don't know um the context of it but but yeah just something to add it's such a good point you know because I think sometimes when we're trying to get a better relationship with food or, or more intuitive we think that that doesn't look like any sort of guidelines whatsoever because being truly intuitive means just 100% honoring your internal cues but the way that we obviously work like we don't do this specific intuitive eating intervention right we have a bit of a modified intervention that we use with clients and it does involve regular eating pretty much all the time it does involve honoring your preferences it does involve maybe having a little bit more food before training because training is important to you and recovery is important and I think that it's it's a spectrum that you start to try and you're where everyone's trying to figure out right like how intuitive can it be whilst also still honoring what's important to me which might be I don't know body composition or training or, or whatever it is and I think some guidelines like we still follow I, I, well I don't know about you guys but I certainly still follow I'll still have breakfast lunch dinner and then like well whilst I'm here we're having like I'll have a pre-workout snack so that's like four main meals probably minimal snacks bet- between meals and that's something else you're consistent with and even if em and i have slightly different eating patterns so it will mean that for example i'm eating quite a bit more in the daytime than she does because like we have different bodies all this stuff but that's still a guideline that i know is important to me because that's supportive of my relationship with food and so i will still do that even if it doesn't like even if i'm not necessarily super hungry I know that I'll have to be more mindful at nighttime if I'm eating a snack earlier on in the day, even if I'm like that. That's not, that's probably not 100% intuitive, but it's a guideline that supports my relationship with food. So I think we have to, it's different for everyone, right? I think generally eating regularly for 99% of people is a really good guideline to have. Mm-hmm. Mm. I was just going to say the only thing I would, add to that and again because we're not 100% sure in the context of it but if you're working on your relationship with food which obviously this client is she's working with me but often and I know we all have clients like it that find themselves running away with thoughts around calories trying to check in even whether they're tracking or not checking in what they've eaten should they have eaten that or possibly there's still some guilt around what they have eaten. Um, And it's actually something I do for anxiety, but I've tried it with a few clients around this sort of thing and with thoughts around body as well as just a hairband on your wrist and to ping it and have like a mini mindful moment to bring yourself back to the present. Mm, I like that. I remember you mentioned that on a podcast, like, I don't know, sometime last year. And I remember pocketing it like, I really like that. Because there's so many alternatives you can use, like, I mean, a scrunchie is probably a safer option on your wrist for me personally, but there's so many options of that, of just bringing yourself like back to the moment. I love that. Oh, I need to show you something. I've got this thing. It's a unicorn. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Because I get like really like picky and I pop it on my desk. Okay, so for, for people listening, this is basically <laughs> a multicolored, rainbow colored unicorn head that is flat with just lots of 
pop, like pop. It's like bubble wrap almost, isn't it? It's like the, what is it called? Um, Yeah, bubble wrap. I have seen someone have that with their like two-year-old, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's quite good, you know, for mindfulness in kids. Yeah. What's it called? (laughs) I mean, I didn't want to say that, but. I'm a big kid. I'll I'll stop popping it now. It's a bit distracting. What's it called? (laughs) My sister got it. Christmas because she knows what I'm like um and I don't know what they're called I'm sure they're a thing I'm gonna say like a stress popper let's let's start there and let's see if someone can discover what this is and if anyone does record yeah (laughs) um okay Steph question yes um okay any specific discussions or information around adhd i know this links with binge eating just wanted any helpful advice or tips in managing this in particular i seem to struggle with 3 p.m crash and tiredness and thinking eating chocolate or carbs helps try to manage this um bit of context just started working together and they work like night shifts as well so sort of managing that okay so ADHD is tough, right? Because it depends. There's going to be a big difference if you're medicated or not, because the the ADHD medication is is generally stimulant, and so that can have impacts on your appetite. And so, for some people, if you're medicated and you have ADHD, you might find that you just have a really low appetite until you're past the half life and things start to wear off, and then your appetite increases quite a lot. And at that point, it's often at nighttime, and that's often when some people will find that they're overeating or they're binge eating because their appetite has come back and it's come back with a vengeance because they've been under eating all day, not intentionally, just because their appetite is so low. Um, so if you are like if you are medicated, this is one of the times when eating intuitively, it does it doesn't work. I mean, not not like not tracking is fine. And you can get curious about it. And you're again, it's sort of on that similar mindset of modified intuitive eating, right? You're you're eating intuitively but you've got a couple of guidelines in place that support your goal which in this case is to help you with managing your overeating etc so eating regularly is going to be really really important even if you have a low appetite thinking about foods like that are higher in calories and lower in volume so specifically foods higher in unsaturated fats not butters eggs um any fat sources that you enjoy really trying to make sure that you are at least getting that in with some protein even if you think carbohydrates just seems like too much trying to have the more calorie dense foods in a regular eating pattern is really important if you're not on medication you'll find this potentially is less of an issue excuse me but we see higher rates of binge eating because there's a people think it's just because of impulsivity so with adhd often you feel more impulsive and so that obviously relates to how we tend to binge eat or overeat, which is kind of struggling to be mindful, struggling to slow down, struggling to pause, and then to act. It's very much like a knee-jerk reaction. Um, but also what happens with ADHD is potentially you get like a heightened dopamine response. So whenever we eat foods that are high in things like carbohydrate, fat, salt, protein, um, we get like a heightened, we get a food reward response in our brain a dopamine response but with people with ADHD there's some evidence actually that they get a heightened dopamine response from foods so you see this in people in larger bodies sometimes as well um, and so we almost get greater reward for eating certain foods certain foods maybe that are higher in fat and sugar for example often the foods that we tend to overeat on so it, it can be a lot tougher to like eat to kind of moderate these so when we talk about unconditional permission to eat, obviously what happens is over time, we remove that absence violation effect, that big red button effect over time for kind of most people. But you can imagine how difficult that is to move through for people who have this. It's just it's just harder because everything feels harder to let go of, more enjoyable. And as, as much as I don't want to brush over ADHD as a, as an impact on these things it's it 100% is it makes these things harder unfortunately but the same rules for want of a better term still apply so mindfulness is super super important practicing meditation pretty much every day and this is a practice that you build up right we know that you don't just jump into meditation and, and everything is fine meditation for someone with ADHD again much harder so if you find meditation really hard 
some people with ADHD like to do things like breath work because it's really, really focused and immersive. You're not just sitting there quietly, you're actually actively focusing on your breath. That can be great. I know one of my friends who has ADHD who binges also, obviously not a client, but he does a lot of like climbing. He also does a lot of stupid things too. Um, but climb, rock climbing stuff because it's immersive. It requires that thing. Skateboarding, similar sort of thing. Handstanding, similar sort of thing. So thinking about activities where it's meditative and it's immersive and it forces you to be present whilst also trying to practice meditation and accepting that it, it's going to be potentially harder doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it but trying to incorporate lots of bits of mindfulness that should be like a really 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 key focus alongside making sure that you're eating regularly and challenging the idea that you can only eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full because it is going to be tougher for you and so you kind of have to go against that rule a little bit which you have to do if you're somebody who overeats anyway initially regardless of ADHD so I, I don't want to sound defeatist because it's certainly doable and I've worked with quite a lot of clients with ADHD before and we've got quite a lot of ADHD, people with ADHD on the team right it's absolutely doable but it's just about identifying you know do you take medication do you not what are your triggers do you struggle with mindfulness and then kind of working back from that I think mm-hmm. we've um started to like I say because we've only just started working together um because I think sometimes when you go into this process no matter who you are you kind of want to do everything because you're so open and you, you just want it to work but you just want to try and do everything but I, the approach that I've sort of taken and we've, we've taken together is we're utilizing the better time so the time at home to do the mindfulness at home like really get that ingrained and then you know we're going to start to add it when she's in shift work and stuff like that to translate instead of going right all at once I want you to do this every day of your life now um so just taking those small steps I think is also you know and like we all do on this team we always meet you halfway and I think as long as you communicate those feelings and what you're feeling then there's always going to be an approach that we can take that week or that next week where things are different in your shift pattern for example yeah absolutely and like with anything it's accepting that it's absolutely not going to be perfect and we're not looking for perfect at all we're not even looking for this has to be done every day in this particular way it's like this is a lifelong thing. How can we start doing these things that are easy enough for you to incorporate? But some weeks you'll do really loads of it. Other weeks you'll just do the bare minimum. And what are your non-negotiables? Having that bar low and anything you do on top of that is fantastic, is super helpful. And that's just, that's true for anyone, right? We're never looking for perfection. And I know that when, like, I see this quite a bit in some of my clients who are recovering perfectionists and they move away from tracking perfection and then they say, they then fall into well I need to be perfect with my mindfulness I need to make sure that I'm meditating exactly this many minutes a day and I need to make sure that I'm pausing before every single meal and using the hunger scale before every meal and it's like I understand and I think that's often like the next step and then it's like okay now after this we want it to be like what is effectively the end stage of an intuitive eating cycle which is where it feels easy we are not having to constantly be perfect with it and constantly check in with what you're doing and that's a long process and we say this all the time right but when we work with clients it's it can seem like well I've got these habits now over the first three months and I've got these habits in place so this is great and it's like that's the that's the first step is getting consistent with these habits right now what's the next step is not needing these habits there but you're doing them anyway and then letting them become more natural and then seeing where the struggles are and then where we need to focus some more on it's not like a tick box I know how to surf the urge tick box I know what the hunger scale is great I'm off and I'm done it's so much of a a bigger process and obviously we do talk about this all the time but yeah interesting Mm. okay I'm gonna ask one of Becca's questions good morning um any tips for starting out with journaling and how to stay on track when in COVID isolation brackets mainly mentally (laughs) are we meaning staying on track with journaling or just staying feeling good in general while having to isolate I think both so staying on track with journaling first I think and then and then the next part of the question um like staying on track in forward mentally I think it kind of links into what you were saying and stop trying to make it perfect I think like any other habit rather than saying to yourself well I need to do this every day for 
10 minutes. No, what's going to be manageable? Let's start off building it into a habit. So maybe say three, four times a week, I'm going to dedicate five to 10 minutes in the evening. I'm not putting any pressure on myself. I'm just going to see what happens, see what I write. And then I think the more that you do, the more that you begin to get a feel of kind of when you need it. I know that you and I immediately have very different approaches to it in that I like to do it before I go to bed because otherwise sleep is a bit of an issue. <laughs> Whereas you're kind of as and when just word bomb, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I remember speaking to Ed about this on his the podcast that we him and I did, the Need to Read podcast. And he was like, yeah, when I first started journaling, I just kept writing. And I realized after weeks, like what a load of bullshit, what I was writing was what I can't wait to look back on in two years time about my day and it was absolute crap. And then he said, and I called myself on it. And then I totally changed the way that I journaled. And it's like, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've never looked back on my journal. I think the only time I've ever looked back was <clears throat> when I had a, like a really big decision to make in 2020. If you listen to the podcast, you probably know about what's going on. But I had a really big decision to make and I knew that I was going to struggle with regret. I knew that that was going to come up. So when I was journaling, I was reading Untamed at the time and I was writing bits from Untamed that I knew I resonated so hard with what made me make the decision that I did. And I wrote it all down and it was quite pretty. And I thought, I know that I'm going to want to look back. And that's the only time that I've ever written something for my future self to look back on to say, you're going to feel this way. This is, look at this when you feel this way. And I could look back and be like, yes, my inner knowing was this, and that's right. But apart from that, I've, I've never, ever looked back. And I think reminding yourself of that, like, it really doesn't matter. At the moment, I'm going through some stuff. So I'm writing down facts. I'm writing down facts. Sometimes I talk about how I feel and then I'm like, okay, I need to hold myself accountable to making sure that I phone this person tomorrow, that I arrange this with the guys, like whatever it is. And it's just like, it's more just like things to do almost. But writing it in my journal space is like, okay, I've committed, I've promised myself I'm going to do it. Whereas other days, it's like, I hate him so much. Like, I can't believe this has happened. He's an asshole, blah, blah, blah. That's also completely... Have you read mine recently? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think it's just about saying, like, just honestly, just get it out. And if you're someone that struggles to know what to write, it's there's a reason why you're struggling to know what to write. It's because you often it's because you a are trying to make it perfect b are assuming that you want to read it again or c you're avoiding whatever it is that's not coming out on paper you're you're avoiding it but whenever like a good way to famous is whenever you struggle to put it out on paper that means that you're suppressing it somewhere in your body what do we do when we're suppressing it in our body we overeat we over restrict we over exercise we lash out at other people we like have a positive game face everything is fine when it's not we feel lonely and disconnected so whenever you struggle with it and you check in with me and you say I'm not doing my journaling because I just couldn't do it that's what you're doing that's the choice you're making and that's you know, one of the the best things I did was I mean not burn my house down in the process like some but <laughs> <laughs> doing what? it kind of like monthly I mean airy fairy moon ritual perhaps but just knowing that once a month or however frequently you want to do it you can burn that piece of paper and then it changes entirely what you write as well because mm -hmm. like you said you're not going to look back on it no one's going to see it you can be as brutally open and honest in that journal as you as you want to be as yeah. you should be to say the incentive to journey for me is knowing that I'm not going to read it like, <laughs> I do like to do things for my future self <laughs> so writing to my future self who's going to be great um that's nice but but I do like to write things down that I don't think when I'm writing it like I've got messy writing it doesn't have to be perfect and I think I'm also speaking from a recovering perfectionist mindset and I think that for me was helpful knowing that I don't need to read this back it was just for the, it's a bit more of an in the moment strategy I call it anyway yeah definitely I um I was filming yesterday so I don't know if you did your meditations and your journaling but I didn't mind but we don't have any matches so I couldn't release anything but I thought about it that's what counts um and yes Steph I, I just moved into my new house when I did a filming before in 2020 when I was filled with anger and I 
let my journal pages to burn them and I did it inside my chimney thinking that would be up like my fireplace thinking it would be fine and then I went to leave the house and, and someone was like no you can't just leave the candle and I was like it's in my chimney it's fine and they were like no like put it out and it was so big I couldn't blow it so I poured water on it never pour water on an open flame my friend it, the whole thing just blew up it went came out of my chimney and went up my bedroom wall my brand new bedroom wall burnt my carpet and then left like this dirty smoke thing up my bedroom wall because I just had so much anger in there it just was like an explosion powerful I was like mm. wow it was very intense I'm not gonna lie um so yeah don't do that although it was very therapeutic in the end as I lay crying watching my brand new house <laughs> Oh, life okay and the second part was uh, how to stay on track when in covid isolation mainly mentally i mean steph's got recent experience of this yeah. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh damn i've been thrown into the bus here uh, <laughs> you are well, the uh, of sanity right now look at that hairdo <laughs> nice recent, uh, lovely um I think for me, I was trying to think what I did do because definitely didn't wasn't training. Um, I was really actually I was I was quite proud of myself in the way that you know I think you put it up Anna when was it when you were at the airport and you took a picture or you were on holiday this last week and you took a picture of a food that probably was a fear food or something. Yeah, yeah, and I, I remember go yes because um, I remember thinking when I was um, a couple of weeks ago when I had COVID like I was going for energy dense foods on purpose because my appetite had gone down so I was being very mindful with what I was consuming um, and then in terms of like I don't think I did any journaling but I did I, I'm a bit of a list writer so I know that's not really journaling but for me it's helpful and um, like a bit of an end of day review and next day sort of list to do um, and then a uh, big fan of I know we spoke about this the other week about box breathing but I quite like that before like I don't know calls and things like that just to kind of make me feel a bit more centered um but yeah journaling probably wasn't that great for me during COVID if I'm honest yeah I think that that is such a good sign of, of a relationship with food that is in a good place when you are actively choosing energy dense foods because whenever you do that and you've been so, exposed to diet culture which we all have at some point in our lives you're actively making a choice for your health as opposed to in line with external reasons and it's such an it's amazing to be able to stop even now and take that reflection and be like oh no this is like this is how I'm it's a horrible cliche of like fueling your body but again it's what we were saying the other week about like gifting your body with nourishment and that's such a powerful message um I think I mean Anna you've been in COVID isolation what's your thoughts I just let go of any idea that I needed to keep a routine. I had my non-negotiables that were, I mean, that's when I really started doing yoga because I was so achy. Um, I, it was horrific. And so that was like a daily non-negotiable, just some restorative. So it's like, you just lie don't you and <laughs> do some gentle stretching it's not it's not anything too strenuous um and yeah like Steph said just making sure that I was fueling myself but losing those well I'm normally doing this at this time or no just kind of reframing that okay this is a really crappy situation but I'm going to make the most of not having to be anywhere at any specific time yeah I think you both hit on a really good point like Steph's like, I like to have my list and to think what am I doing tomorrow and what have I done today? And I was like, I just like off having to do those things. And it's, it shows the need for like what makes you feel good because everyone is so different. But I think what you've both said is you have this extra time and it's like, how I now get to choose or to and take advantage of this time. That might be taking advantage of rest and yoga and things that make my body feel good. That might be taking advantage with, I don't know, reading something that you've that you've had on your bookshelf for ages or doing more work or what if you're feeling up to it like it could be anything but it's like it's I remember talking about this in 2020 it's very rare that you are going to get the time in a house on your own or with potentially dependents or not that you you actively cannot be answerable to other people outside of the house and you actively cannot go out of the house try 
cling on to any sort of benefit from that that you can it's crap right it's crap especially if you feel crap but are there any little wins that you could say I get to sleep an extra couple of hours a night or I get to read my book for an hour in the morning and because I don't have to commute to work or whatever it is trying to find those little things is a choice that you can make that will probably help your mental like your mentality go through it um okay this Anna mm. Um, a friend has started training with a PT that I don't particularly rate. I want to say something, but not sure I should. I wouldn't say anything. Well, look. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think, right, unsolicited advice isn't welcome. Unsolicited advice is not welcome. And what you risk doing is saying they're crap and then they stay with them. And then when they give them crap advice, they're not going to talk to you about it because they know that you already think they're crap. And then what? Mm -hmm. I think be there, ask, like ask about it, be interested in it. And rather than just shoot them down immediately, when they say something that you think, oh, maybe that doesn't sound right. Like, for example, oh, I just, you know, I eat rice cakes four times a day and that's all I eat. I'm not assuming it's not going to be this extreme, but you, like rather than saying, oh, that's absolutely ludicrous. I knew that PT was crap. Saying, oh, that's interesting. Like, what are the reasons for that? Because some of the stuff that I look at is actually saying that like the opposite. And like, it's just an interesting dichotomy. And it's creating a safe space where someone can have these conversations rather than just giving your unsolicited advice. Mm -hmm. Which do you think is going to be more is going to be more fruitful for your friend which because ultimately what it is is you want to help your friend you have really great intentions what's going to be the most helpful for your friend i think yeah i agree i've, I've had a few uh, friends not with pts but um obviously gone through different like group coaching or diet uh, like for example slimming world whatever it might be and i think for me my take on it is I want to be that person that my friend goes to always and me saying well that's a bit dodgy or that's not right I, I think that isn't going to be helpful for someone in a position where they're seeking help like they're feeling vulnerable and they're seeking help or not necessarily seeking help because they're feeling vulnerable but you know what I mean they're in a position where they, they're looking for guidance and I think if you're coming at them even if you are very informed I personally don't think that's a good approach and the best like basically what you just said Amelia like the best um times I've been with when I've had friends in these positions they've always come back to me because I've never been judgmental and then I've invited them into that conversation and then they're like oh and then they start to kind of take on um sort of approaches and, and I've helped them from there um but I know as as a friend you, you do want the best for them so sometimes you think telling them just to kind of save them time will be helpful but actually it probably isn't I think you kind of got to play it out a little bit I think yeah for sure for sure there's a lot to be said for just not being judgmental and again this person is not being judgmental by asking this question they're clearly aware the trend is yeah. the right thing right so this is certainly not this person but it's so so easy and you see it I see a lot of coaches online who are trying to make themselves look better than other coaches but you do that by being the best obviously like we are but you do that by being the best you don't do that by being like that coach said this and that's so stupid because x y and z you just look better and angry it's the same as people that say i'm not like everyone else in the fitness industry why though like rather than slagging off everyone else in the fitness industry and saying why they're crap just sack off that judgment part and just be like i'm fantastic because my clients do fantastic work with us and get fantastic results it's it's the difference between I think having quite a negative mindset and having a growth positive mindset and the impact that that can have on yourself and the people around you is huge and that's obviously something we try and cultivate with our team with EIQ especially we're very much like we empower each other we are the best that we can be not by bringing other people down or judging the way other people do things although of course it's important if, for example, we'll put occasional posts out about stupid coaches that say that they can cure binge eating mm. with not an underlying premise of people should work with us, but an underlying premise that that is dangerous, but our whole content is not around that. So if you find yourself judging, what you're saying is I'm better than you, 
why why is that your story and really calling yourself out on that and it could be anything from the way someone eats the way someone's body is the way someone dresses the way someone chooses to live their life quit their job to have babies like not have babies and work on their career there's so many things that we're judged on as women especially in the society it's like if you find yourself doing it call yourself on it because life is infinitely better when you're not like judging other people I think that was a bit of a tangent but it's definitely something you see in fitness yeah I like that tangent though it's great <laughs> thanks uh, okay whose question is that so, yeah. so bad at this even this far in um I've been able to be more protective of my time and maintain boundaries with certain people but not the ones I fear will walk away how do I get around this great question oh. <laughs> good right <laughs> I mean if they're if if you're worrying that they're gonna walk away then do you really want them in your life long term that would be my thought yeah it's tough right there's a great instagram page that talks about this but really really sarcastically um and it's called i love a bit of sarcasm <laughs> Thank you me now. I'm like i'm gonna get it for the end of this podcast if i can't find it that second um because it's oh it's called power dot of dot self dot care so power of self care and it is absolutely fantastic it's so um it's just so sarcastic um so for example one of their posts is stop apologizing just because you did something to upset someone doesn't make you responsible for their feelings and it's like oh, like I shared one of these ones and people were like yeah yeah and I was like that's sarcastic of course you have to take responsibility for your actions like <laughs> it amazes me like the, the reason I'm saying this is because right there's a line often the people that we work with are, tend to be people pleasers and boundaries are so so important but there's this kind of cultural trend now it's like boundaries 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 and boundaries is not selfish but they absolutely can be selfish so for example my family are going through quite a lot right now and if I was like do you know what I'm going through my own stuff right now so I'm just going to set the boundary up. I'm just not going to go back to Scotland. I'm going to stay in Mexico for ages because my mental health really needs that. When my family are going through shit in Scotland, that's not healthy boundaries, that's selfish. And if you know when you set boundaries that you are doing it from a place of, yes, self-preservation is really important, but not to the, I suppose it's like not to the expense of other people. So you can put someone out of whack you can upset them a little bit you can um disrupt their plans a little bit and all of these trivial things that are really important for you to manage your health um safety mindset or just your preferences that's absolutely okay but if you're setting boundaries that are at risk of hurting people to the point of like really hurting someone I still think boundaries are important, but you have to think of the outcome, right? And you have to think, is this intentionally hurting someone? Or is this, like, what is the trade-off here? I think it's, I think, again, most people listen to us would benefit from putting in boundaries, but I just think it's a really important check-in with yourself, where imagine I said, so imagine, say, Steph, you were struggling with something, I don't know, like, in your professional life, right? And I knew that you were struggling and you were going through a really hard week. And I went to you, do you know what my boundaries are? You can't text me after four o'clock in the day or you can't text me before nine o'clock in the morning because, you know, self-preservation for me is really important. If I had a family life and other things, then sort of understandable. But if it was because, do you know what, I just don't want a text to remind me of work at seven o'clock at night and you're sitting there crying, that's selfish and it's not helpful. So I think we really have to think about these things. And if you think about that and you still think this is the right thing for me to do, then like you said, Anna, if you put that in place and you walk away, then that's on them. That's their inability to support what you need means that they're not somebody that is the right person to have in your life in the first place. Like this is a two-way street and you want to be your best self for other people and they should want to be their best selves for you. That's how relationships work. Not about fixing other people, but supporting yourself so that you can then be the best for other people. I, on the back of that, I think it is related. Um, I've, what I've done with someone that I would say I'm quite close to, but I think sometimes we expect 
ourselves in other people and I know I'm someone that sometimes has that standard of I don't know whatever that is in my friends or family whatever and one thing I did do in, in COVID because let's face it everyone was going through the pandemic it wasn't just us and I what I was I was a bit hurt and I, I just remember going right it's not going to be helpful in this situation to kind of tell her that because also she's going through something else but what I can do is adjust my expectations of her as my friend she's still a great friend but she's you know she's not probably someone that I would I don't know you know you have that friend that you would go to about so and so like I might not do that with her now and that's not like a criticism but it's just I've had to take responsibility and implement a boundary for my own self and be like I'm just going to adjust my own expectation here and I think that was really helpful for me um really helpful and I don't know if that's helpful for you (laughs) no because you're right it's a boundary that you've set for yourself it's not you've gone out of your way to have that conversation with them because you've weighed up but you've set a boundary for yourself I think that's super helpful and probably aside boundaries that we don't talk about very much so I think that's really useful and then there's like the Brene stuff around um what she said about you know you can't this is I'm going to absolutely butcher this (laughs) you can't like how much love do you have for someone and respect you have for someone that's walking all over you so Mm -hmm. really it's think about your relationship if that relationship is important to you you don't want it to be filled with resentment and frustration and dislike towards that person because you've let them walk all over you you want it to be a strong relationship and what comes with that is vocalizing your needs and listening to their needs at the same time Mm. listening Hmm. (laughs) hard that we know about that don't we Anna what no not listening (laughs) uh okay um Denai's question what are your tips for improving self-worth particularly how to stop tying your sense of self-worth to your body that's a loaded question great question loaded question The thing with tying your self-worth to your body is that your body is constantly changing. Therefore, your self-worth is always going to be up and down because you're putting so much value on it. Um, So obviously there's there's all the work that we've we've spoken on um, about improving body image and starting to see your body more as kind of an instrument rather than an ornament Mm. um and I think that would be where I would start first and foremost yeah I think one of the I was speaking to my client about this the other day because she calls her body she so she's talks she'll check in and she'll say oh yeah I knew that she needed this so and I think that's such a powerful frame and I say that sometimes I'm like I'm going to treat her to this or whatever (laughs) because it reminds you we often talk about like treating yourself like you treat your best friend or whatever and it kind of is this on that same sort of realm this starts with accepting that you are a self you are you and you are not your body your body is a vessel that houses who you are so you might be loving you might be I mean, if we go really deep and spiritual, um, and if you listen to anything from Eckhart Tolle, like, you are, you just, you are. And so when someone says, who are you? You're not supposed to say, I am a mother. I am a nutritionist. I am these things. You're supposed to say, I am. I am the awareness that is aware of all these things. We're not going to go into that, but if you love all that stuff, then do listen to Eckhart Tolle in A New Earth. But you, it's recognising that your body is this vessel that takes you through life. You are who you are in yourself you are like I said kind aware um like loving all of these things and your worth comes from that part trying to think of it as it, although we talk a lot about embodiment and how yoga supports all that stuff that's really important because you want to feel connected to your body you want to feel connected to this vessel that houses you so you can take care of it that's really important but equally as important as saying you are the heart and soul you are the soul and how do you want people to deem you worthy do you want people to deem you worthy because of how you make them feel 
what lasting impression they get of you, what they say about, or like something that always came up when we were in Playa, um, in Playa del Carmen, people were like, you've got really nice energy. And to me, that's the ultimate compliment. And it's not about, and, and imagine, so imagine I've said this before, like if I'd gone on holiday with Emma, six years ago I would have been like I'm not as lean as she is and I'd go to the gym and think everyone's looking at Emma and I'm like who am I and all this other stuff whereas now it's like I mean she's got great energy and she gets a very similar compliment but whereas now it's like these people are attracted to me because of my energy because of my soul that's my worth my worth is who I am as a person and then your body is just so worthy because it allows you to go to the gym to meet these people to have these conversations but they are separate entities. And I think really trying to get your head around that concept is the fundamental step in then working on your self-worth more outside of your body. Mm. I think you can't like connect your self-worth and self-esteem by using external markers all of the time, like how many times you train a week, literally like what you look like and um, what you eat and things like that. So I think sometimes part of the work with what we do with helping with self-esteem is becoming aware of what you do use as markers to give your self-worth and then that's when you can kind of flip it and go let's start using internal stuff instead um but yeah I mean I'm very attacked by the question to be honest <laughs> but yeah I think it's, it's such a good one because I mean to be fair like lots of clients that I work with will relate to that question uh, I think probably everyone that listens to this question will relate and I think it's just a good way to check in and go, like, what makes you feel good? And how can you give to others that makes you feel good, too? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, there's so many ways that you can uh, use markers internally. Um, I feel like I've said markers too many times. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right. There's a lot to be said for helpers high. Like, helpers high is a thing where you, you get improved physiological and psychological outcomes from helping people. And from being that person for other people and again I'm mindful of a lot of our clients are kind of people that often will martyr themselves and will really focus on that more than they focused on themselves <clears throat> um, and I think that and so obviously be very mindful of that and with all of this stuff you need to think about what do I relate to what's actually me um, because this is not going to be rele relevant for everyone but I like to think like I feel that my worth comes from helping other people most of the time and that's probably to my detriment that's sometimes and it has been a detriment sometimes and so you have to hold yourself accountable to that too but wouldn't you like your worth to be more related to how much you support people and how much love they can give rather than what your body is because that's the truth of the matter whether you choose to believe that or not is something that you're working on with deny in this case but that is the reality of the situation that is your worth not just helping other people but you know how much you like the chances I think Jimmy Carr said this on Stephen's podcast like the chances of you being alive today are so small like one in millions or billions I mean I'm not going to give you specific numbers because I don't know and I'll just look like a fool but the chances of you being alive are so slim don't you think you owe it to the universe to the world to be like I am going to do what I can with this life for myself so that I live in joy and for other people so that other people can live in joy because when you die that's what you want your impact to be right she was just joyous or she was like helpful or whatever it is like you don't want it to be well she was lean like I mean please don't put that on my tombstone <laughs> I mean by that fine <laughs> by the time I'm 90 when I'm die because that will happen um I probably, let's be honest, don't really want to be lean. I would like to be, I think, I think, I think if you're an older, like if you are an older lady above the age of maybe 85, it's probably the least of your worries to be lean. You probably want to be fat. Anyway. What was the ESG posted about happiness? Oh, yeah. But it was like, didn't the graph go up after, was it like 40? 40, 45. Yeah, it's, it's what, so what was really cool about that was because a lot of women have this fear of aging. They have a fear partly because patriarchy, partly because menopause, and they have this fear or we have this fear of getting older. And I can certainly say that I've had that thought many a time too. 
and we think that our life is over because everyone says you stop getting noticed and you feel invisible and you hear all of these things but actually that research and happiness research was a bit dodgy I actually did my email on this for tomorrow happiness research is a bit dodgy because of course lots of things change when you get older and things but it looked like happiness it's like average it starts to decrease in your 20s and you're between 30 and 35 your happiness as a woman is at its lowest point and then after like 35 to 40 it's like, <laughs> whoa 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 no no I'm not happy about it <laughs> here I'm buzzing I'm like all things considered I'm like okay fine this, mm. this is a good place for me to be right now I'm on my way up I'll take that um but yeah it's, an, it's really interesting loads of people have asked for the re- actual research if you just google like happiness research you'll see loads of it's interesting single people are generally consistently happy whereas married people um tend to have an increase in happiness before the like the wedding and then after that tends to plummet and then the only time it increases is when you get divorced after it and then <laughs> people with babies it's how are you feeling being engaged Steph <laughs> thank oh, you <laughs> email because because it talks about like babies and jobs and all these things and of course this is not if you get married you're going to be miserable if you have babies you're going to be miserable be single for it. it's absolutely not the case it's just interesting to see and to go oh that's interesting I want to make sure that when I go into a wedding which everyone does right but I want to make sure that I'm getting married to the right person and I want to make sure when I have babies the right time for me to have babies and I want to make sure that I'm in a job that supports me so that if I do have these fluctuations in happiness I know that I can find happiness and joy in my job and I think that it's empowering because we could say right this is potentially what happens to the average person these are the choices I'm going to make to try and navigate myself away from that and that's really like that's a cool empowering message I think hopefully that's what we get from it not I'm just going to cry now I'm going to journal for a few minutes Okay, I think we're going to stop there, actually. Again, we've got many questions, so we might do a couple of multiples again, sack off some of my solos um, to get through some questions. So keep them coming. We love them. We love the diversity. And um, if you obviously like this podcast, please do like, share, subscribe, and tag Anna and Steph underscore ETPHT coaching. Sometimes when people tag me, I'm like, I'll always tag whoever's in the podcast, but it's very nice if you remember to tag everyone that's on the podcast. And also we have spaces for coaching. Specifically, we're open a couple, like we're opening some more spaces for the next couple of weeks. So today we're on the well, when this gets released, it'll be the 17th, 18th of February. So February, March time, if you want to work with us, the link is on the show notes and also on Instagram if you find us on Instagram and just message us if you want to chat. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks.